This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're now listening to the Destination Debbie Podcast. I present your host, Ray Garvin, the creator of Destination Debbie, and your go-to source for all things Debbie and college football. I want everybody to take a deep breath, relax, rejoice, and be grateful because college football is back. We are here. No more spring ball. No more fall camp gossip. No more coach speak. We actually get to see these Debbie prospects on the field playing meaningful football. And we've got games. We had stuff on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday. It is back. College football is here. Thank the football gods. It's time to get into Debbie. Now we can talk about who is actually going to be a contributor on your dynasty rosters for the for the foreseeable future. Now we can actually put all of the the film and, and analytic debates to rest and we get to watch these players perform on Saturdays. And I, for one, couldn't be more excited to have you with me today on the Destination Debbie podcast. You know who I am. I'm the host, Ray Garvin. You can find me on Twitter at RayGQ. And I am elated and ecstatic to have this guest join me on the show today to sort of talk about what we saw on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Uh, It's one of my co-hosts over at the Debbie Happy Hour. He is a writer and ranker for Dynasty Happy Hour. He is somebody that deserves more follows because he knows his stuff. Former football, uh, Division II football player such as myself. So I'm I'm excited to welcome for the first time my co-pilot on this show. You can find him on Twitter at Kamish McGriff, Matt Griffith. How you doing, Matt? And I appreciate you having me, man. You know, I've been a fan of your show for a while. Like you said, we've been talking back and forth for several months, but no, glad to be on, man. It's cool to be a guest on your show today. Appreciate it, man. I know it's a it's a busy day Sunday going into the into the holiday. So for you taking time out of your day to talk to me, because I want to give the people what they want as fast as they want. You know, college football games Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, I'm I'm switching things up for everybody out there listening. I'm switching things up. So I'll be putting out shows on Mondays instead of Wednesdays. Now, I want you to have this information as quick as possible. 
And then some of the things that I'm doing with Debbie Happy Hour will be more previewing the next week's the next week's show, uh, the next week's slate of games and things of that nature. So on today's show, we really want to focus on storylines, 2019 storylines, because there were so many different things that were talked about over the summer, whether that be Jerry Judy isn't the wide receiver one, or is Trevor Lawrence really the, you know, the next thing since Andrew Luck, or these running backs, you know, can Travis Etienne, who said he was afraid to catch passes, are we going to be able to see that this this fall for me personally, one of the big storylines that I was paying attention to, and if if you've listened to every show, you know that at the beginning, I was sort of uh, a little bit down on LaVisca Chenault. So he was one of the more polarizing players that I wanted to focus on this fall. So this show is going to be geared towards, you know, kind of figuring out what we saw in week one. Yes, it's early. Yes, majority of these top teams played against inferior talent, but they don't make the schedule. They just play it. So I want to figure out from what Matt has seen, what I've seen, did did any of those guys clear that up for us? Has there been more confusion caused? But ultimately, for dynasty owners and for Devi leaguers, are these players that are these the players that you want to be investing draft capital in or have on your dynasty radars here in the near future? So, Matt, before we get rolling, just kind of for for the listeners who do not know you, just kind of give us your background with college football why you are into Devi and, and why you really enjoy this aspect of Dynasty. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, like you know, and some other folks know, uh, played football since, uh, what, Pop Warner through high school, did the recruiting thing, went and played uh, Division Two football for a while, for four years. And then, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not four years. I played junior college football first. Uh, you know, I chose some of the knucklehead routes, but played junior college football first, did pretty well there, went and played Division Two ball for a little bit. And then played in the Arena Football League for a couple of years, which was really fun. Um, but it's where I realized, uh, you know, that that dream of playing in the league may maybe kind of coming to an end. But love football. Been watching it since as far as back as I can remember. My grandfather played in the NFL, played for USC, and uh, our house was a house dedicated to USC football on Saturdays and NFL on Sundays. So naturally, got involved in the fantasy game. You know, fantasy football just ain't enough, you know. So watching football uh, every Sunday, but Saturday is just as much dedicated. And then when we can start now doing our homework to get ready to, as we all want to do score fantasy points, man, I just want to be one step ahead of uh, my competition. Now, I love college football enough anyway, so it just naturally transitioned into that. And real quick, because I know the story, tell us about your grandfather who played at USC real quick. You said he was one of those throwback two-way players, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, he tripped out like when I was in high school. So I played both ways in high school. And then when I got to college, I wasn't playing both ways and he was mad about it. So when he played at USC in the fifties, you had to play both ways. And he played, they just called it end. He was an off, uh, tight end and defensive end. You're just an end. You play both sides of the end or both sides of the line. And, uh, he got mad when guys didn't play both ways. And he's like, what do you mean you got to come out for a break? You know, and uh, and uh, he played there from 54 to 58, 54 to something like that. But six foot eight, 295 pounds, man. And at that time frame was unheard of. So big boy. And uh, he definitely uh, had to cast a big shadow. <laughs> nah, that that's dope, man. And I'm pretty sure that he wasn't complaining about his helmet like Antonio Brown back in the 50s, was he? No, man, he was uh, he laughed when guys would get hurt. Our quarterback would get hurt in high school and, you know, not to go too far off. But uh, actually, I put, I would be the back of quarterback when our quarterback got hurt, even though I was a tight end and linebacker and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, every time he got hurt, his favorite saying was put some or rub some dirt on it and get that boy back out there. Like he was not <laughs> it, was, it was unacceptable for guys to get hurt and to come off the field. So 
Um, hey, it allowed me to go play quarterback, though, for parts of games. So that was kind of cool. Well, that's a good segue talking about playing on the field. So over the past couple of days, we've had a whole bunch of games. So just give us one game that you were really, really interested in and that lived up to the billing for Debbie Prospects. So for those who may have missed the game, they can go back, make sure they check the stat line or even watch the replay. And I really advise you to go back and watch the replay of these games with some of these prospects because you'll see all of the highlights. There are certain runs that Jonathan Taylor and Travis Etienne made that will end up on every single highlight reel. But I subscribe to the notion that you learn more from those five yard carries from the, you know, the six yard speed out that the receiver, you know, breaks on and makes that catch. You learn a little bit more than, from those than just those highlight real plays. So go back and there are condensed versions of the game you can watch on YouTube, but go back and watch those games. So, Matt, give us one game that took place over the past couple of days that you really think that uh, people need to be watching. Yeah, no, that's a great point, man. Just do not just watch the highlights, everybody. you got to watch the game, see how the storyline plays out with game script and all that. Um, but one that we highlighted the other night on the Debbie Happy Hour was this Oklahoma State at Oregon State game. And uh, just there's so many big names in it. And I admittedly have been not as high on Chuba Hubbard as a lot of other people. And I was really interested to see how he played just so I could either – reaffirm where I was coming from or kind of maybe take another angle at this and say, am I missing something? So he was somebody who I was not as high on. I, I, I thought he was a great prospect, but I wasn't as high as I was seeing some folks. And I was higher on Tylen Wallace, I thought, than some other folks. So was, I really wanted to see where my own kind of evaluation was falling in with that Oregon State defense, which is not that good, uh, just like Oklahoma State defense is not that good. So that comes into play with it there. And uh, I left there too, who... I knew who Isaiah Hodgins was, but after that game, it was like, wow, Isaiah Hodgins needs to be on the radar. So he's somebody now I was going to be more starred or highlighted on my watch list going forward to see was that a one, you know, coming out week one, defenses aren't as prepared. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll let you get into Chuba a little bit more. But Tylen Wallace played well and he was slow out the gate. And I feel like most of these games start slow, just the week one element of it. Everybody is going from practice mode to now game mode. Um, you know, adrenaline's high, all that stuff. Jamar Jefferson, who's one of my favorites, didn't have a, a terrific game stat wise, but he still looks good when he runs a football. So that's kind of really what I'm starring there. And um, he's young. He was a sophomore and the game script kind of took him out of what he does best. So as they went down, they were having to chuck it up. And therefore, Isaiah Hodgins started to do his thing. Um, but Tylen Wallace affirmed what I was thinking with him. I would like to see him get more catches, but it really kind of came on late, like I said. And then Chuba Hubbard, um, <laughs> he's making me reevaluate where I have him uh, and, and makes me want to go back and watch more tape and now look at this a lot more closely to see. I may have been a little bit more down on him than most, but um, this, this game had so many big names in it and uh, it, didn't, it didn't fail to deliver. I'm right there with you, man. I, when I when I wrote this question down, I was thinking about it, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think even from you know even from the quarterback situation with Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders was all right. You know what I mean? I I, I don't know if he's going to develop into this you know first round Debbie talent, but he looked all right. Uh, Jefferson, I thought when he ran the ball, he looked good. Oregon State's game plan kind of got thrown out of the window early and you've got a true freshman quarterback back there. Um, but he looked good when he got the ball. It just, it seemed like they were really trying to get Pierce involved. You know, he was coming off the injury last season. Hodgins, I didn't know much about him at all. So watching him play, 
in the catches and the routes that he was making, I literally took out my notebook and wrote that name down. Like I need to go back and, and check him out and see where he came from and follow him. But like you said, uh, Tylen Wallace, he looked good. And I'll tell you right now on DLF, I had him ranked uh, as the 11th best Debbie wide receiver prospect. He's moving up. I had some people that I'm personally high on, um, but you got to put those personal biases aside uh, he's a better wide receiver than Henry Ruggs. And I had Ruggs rated higher than Tylen Ross. I like Ruggs's potential at the pro level, but Wallace looked, I mean, even there was a catch that he made in the end zone that was called incomplete that he just, his timing is ridiculous, man. I, I, I just, I don't think I saw any wide receiver, just timing of the football, tracking it. He's really Really damn good, man. I I I I admittedly was a little bit lower on him, but I'm I'm with you. And then Chuba, I'll save a little bit of my Chuba take, but I've been pounding the table for this guy all off season, and I'm glad that he he definitely looked apart. Now, granted, the defense that he was playing wasn't very good, and then on that 53 yard run, all he had to do was literally just run real fast. Um, but he looked good as well. So- At this point of the show, what we want to do is we're going to go through the quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs. And we're going to sort of stock up, stock down. Did the studs perform like studs? Who was a dud? Or, you know, were these guys as advertised? So sort of a stock up, stock down report on these guys for you Debbie owners out there to be either looking to acquire, looking to sell, pause for concern, or you need to have these guys on your radars. Real fast, the stat that I like the most that's not really shown anywhere is Jake Fromm's backups, who since transferred accounted for, I think, 10 touchdowns this weekend <laughs> between uh, Justin Fields and uh, Eason. Um Anyways, no, but, you know, Trevor, we could start at the top with Trevor Lawrence and stock up, stock down is a tough one because this stock is almost maxed. You know what I mean? It's about as I don't know if it can get any higher. It, for me, it stays it stays the same. And he looked good. It's week one. Not not the greatest of competition. Um, but really, for me, he made uh, he made some of his receivers and especially the one that's not considered the top Debbie receiver in that own team. But uh, T Higgins, T Higgins looked fantastic. And we'll get to that. I know. But but. Um, Lawrence looked as advertised. He, he did what he's supposed to do. Um, he got to check out the game early, like we thought he would. And, uh, I think that'll be the case for, for most of the season. Um, but it's hard not to like what you see there, man, when he lines up at a quarterback every week at Clemson. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought Lawrence, uh, again, stock up, stock down. I think it's just, I think it stays the same. You know, I don't, I don't believe it can really get any higher, there, one of the interceptions he threw was just kind of boneheaded. I don't know if he was pressing. I mean, Georgia Tech wasn't very good, but, I, you know, these these are young kids. These are young men who they're on Twitter. They're paying attention to what's on TV. So, you know, was it the pressure? Was it first game jitters? I'm not concerned about some of the mistakes and errors that he made. They rolled Georgia Tech. It wasn't close. You know, he did not play his best ball. I'm sure he would admit to that, but he did do some things to make Uh, Some of his wide receivers look really good. And one of the guys that I want to talk about is Sam Ellinger out of Texas and Jacob Eason from Washington. These two guys are sort of polarizing for their in their own ways. Uh, You talked about all the quarterbacks that transferred from under Jake Fromm. Eason was one of those guys. And, you know, it seemed like all throughout the summer it was he hadn't won the starting job. He was battling for his life to even be named the starter. He wasn't named the starter until a couple of days before the game, but he came out on freaking fire. And I watched a lot of that game. 
he looked damn good. Now, granted, it was against Eastern Washington, so you can only play who's on your schedule. But Jacob Eason, this is a make-or-break season for him. I've, I've seen some people say he's got first-round potential. He was the number five overall prospect in his recruiting class, number two-ranked quarterback. So he's got the talent. He's a he's a big kid. He's got a strong arm. So to see him come out and, and look good in that game, I'm really excited about him. So Debbie Owners out there, write that name down, Jacob Eason. I'm sure he wasn't drafted in four-round Debbie Superflex draft, so you probably can, you know, acquire him pretty cheap or try to trade for him on the low before he blows up. And then Sam E., my pick that I made on the Debbie Happy Hour for the Heisman. He looked good. Four touchdowns. He looked a lot more poised in the pocket. He's somebody that I was not at all interested in for dynasty purposes. Still not there, but uh, stock rising a little bit for Sam Ellinger. So let's it's early. Let's just see his maturation throughout the season and how it plays out. But I was excited about what he did. He looked really, really good for Texas last night. Matt, anything about uh, you want to touch on Tua or Herbert or Fields? Yeah, I thought Fields. I mean, everyone looks at the stat line and, and goes, oh, my God, Justin Fields. But when you watch the game, he looked like it was his first collegiate start. Um, he's obviously big, has all the intangibles, but every one of those touchdowns that he threw where it's just complete terrible secondary coverage. Every one of those guys is the, the closest DB on one of the touchdowns, I think was probably five yards away. So it wasn't a great, I mean, obviously it wasn't a great test for him. It's great to see him come out the gate with five touchdowns week one, um, in his first collegiate start, but I, I'm obviously want, I'm going to keep a closer eye on that to see, is he going to be able to uh, do that against better opposition? against better secondaries, better coverage, tighter windows. He had really no tight windows to throw into. He's got a decent arm. I mean, his arm looks good, and he's obviously got the legs, but um, there's there's a lot to be determined from that for me. I'm not just throwing him into the top three um, quarterback, Debbie quarterback list as of yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree 100%. I I thought his best play, two of them, one of them was his run, and you know he didn't have to evade anybody, but he does have that speed to be as big as he is. It was good to see that. And then the second most impressive play that I saw from him that I liked a lot was a pass that I believe was incomplete, but he was absolutely blown up in the pocket, and he stood there. Uh, he wasn't scared. He, he stared down the blitz. He got obliterated, uh, but he got up, and I like to see that. I like to see him standing in that pocket to make the throw. Um, He got crushed, but he got up, shook it off, and it seemed like he knew after one of the touchdowns, you know, everyone's jumping around and excited. He was just kind of like chill. Like he wasn't overly like exuberant. He probably knew like, yeah, he's he's wide open, but I I liked his demeanor and his presence, and he looked like he at least had – a sense of command in that offensive system with Ryan Day, his first start. I, I like that, but like you said, he didn't really have to uh, do much from a passing standpoint. It was just, I mean, they were up, I believe, 28 nothing in the first quarter. It just was, it, it, it was easy. But he looked good, and you can only play who's on your schedule. So I, I really like that uh, about Fields. No, I'm with you. And then Tua, I, I love Tua. I mean, Tua's the one, and your notes too, says, can he, can he push T-Law? I think he can. I think I think he can because part of it too is he's available before Trevor Lawrence, you know, and that's gonna be that'll be enough to kind of balance that out just a little bit. You know, I'm seeing people on Twitter talking about tanking for Trevor Lawrence two years out, and it just seems crazy. You know, it's still it's, that's a long ways out. 
But I really like to, I just love what he is learning and doing down there. And, you know, they've kind of changed how they operate as an offense a little bit because of him. Stock up, stock down. It still stays the same. He's still the number two quarterback for me. You know, he can continue to inch higher to that number one spot. I don't know if he'll be able to surpass Trevor Lawrence yet, um, but it's not unrealistic to think that he could do it. Yeah, I've actually, I actually got stock up a little bit for Tua because in watching that game, Duke was on his ass early. I mean, he was, I think his very first drive, they went three and out and he got smoked a couple of times. Um, But to watch him sort of improve and he was dealing, man. What I tell people about Tua, he doesn't, there were people who were like concerned. Jerry Judy hadn't done anything yet. Tua spreads the ball around. There were tight ends catching touchdowns that I never heard of before. Devonta Smith got in the action. They were trying to manufacture touches for uh, Henry Ruggs. Najee Harris out of the backfield once his one quarter suspension was up. And then of course the stud, Jerry Judy and, and Jalen Waddle look great. But man, Tua is de- like, he's a surgeon back there. When you give him a little bit of time, he can move around. He's mobile. I like to see him scramble a little bit. He wasn't taking big hits when he was scrambling. I've got to a stock up just a little bit because it it almost seems like it's Trevor Lawrence and then everybody else where you've made a good point. You get to a next year. I mean, assuming he declares and comes out, you get to a next year. You don't get Trevor Lawrence for another two years. So I, I don't think you look, I really don't think there's a downgrade between they're almost neck and neck. The only difference is Trevor Lawrence is a little more prototypical size, um, a little bit bigger, but I mean, accuracy, arm strength, two is not lacking in that department. So I just, I got to stack up just a little bit and, you know, it's week one, but man, I I just, the value that you get with Tua, it may be a little better than, than, you know, tanking for Trevor. I just, I liked what I saw out of Tua as well as what I saw from Justin Herbert in the big stage last night. I was really sort of uh, not nervous for him, but I was like, man, Auburn is just going to come out here and smoke Herbert and start out week one. He's not even going to look like, you know, it's going to be a repeat of last season. He looked good, man. Now, that touchdown pass that he threw across his body where the receiver in the end zone, like, Tyron Lou, Allen Iverson step over, push down in the end zone, made that DB look silly. Uh, he probably shouldn't have thrown that pass, but he looked good, man. He's mobile. He's got the arm strength. He looked, I think, coming back for his senior season, really, that was a very wise decision. And even though they lost that game, I blame the Oregon coaches for taking their feet off of the gas. They should have never have let up like that when you've got a young guy down. But Herbert looked really good. So I've got stock up for Justin Herbert. What do you think? Well, and admittedly, I have not got to that game yet. And I know it's one of the biggest ones of the week, but I want to be able to sit down and watch it. And it's funny, you know, it's kind of a good reminder to everybody. I know a lot of people say, how can you guys possibly watch all these college games and all these NFL games every week? We can't. We don't. I'm, I'm glad to hear you talk about it like that, because like from what I was reading, Herbert, what didn't look as good. So now I'm like, OK, I want to go into that with the with the fresh slate and don't give him one nod one way or the other. Uh, but I have not got to that game yet, man. So I'm, I'm excited to see that one, though, for sure. And that's a great dude. Thank you so much for saying that, because some people act like they watch every quarter of every game. And that's just BS. If there's any analysts out there that if you go through a list of 25 prospects and they watched everything from them, that's bull. And don't believe it because you can't do it. It's it's in possible to and, and, and understand what we're doing here. This is not a scouting session. 
I mean, I have not broken down film. I haven't looked at Jonathan Taylor's carries in the first quarter versus a stacked box versus a third down in long situation where he gets a draw with the three-man front. This is just reaction from what we've seen on tape. It's hard to pull data right now. It's hard to have all the analytical things that take place over the summer when you've got time to crunch the numbers. A lot of this is film-based analysis. What did we just see on the TV screen that makes us either want to invest or move on or have concern or be excited? It's it's Nobody is out here scouting unless that's what you do for your full-time job these prospects within 12 hours of a, of a game finishing up. So Matt, I appreciate that honesty and just saying I haven't seen it yet. And I did see some people say that Herbert didn't look as good. He looked pretty, he looked pretty sharp to me. Um, definitely a couple, like I said, there's a throw in the end zone that I was like, he probably shouldn't have made, but I can give you two more where right now he hit a guy in the back of the end zone. Phenomenal play, roll out to the right, put it on a laser beam, and the kid just dropped the damn ball. It would have been a touchdown. Um, he had a rushing touchdown called back. I mean, he looked pretty good to me versus one of the better defenses in the SEC. But once you get to it, you know, I'd, I'd be more than really would like to hear your opinion on Herbert. But let's uh, let's dive into, well, before we go into the running backs, real quick, the young guns. I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of uh, uh, Daniels, Matt Corral, or Bo Nix. Um, but any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, so like not getting to Herbert, I didn't get to the Bo Nix. I didn't see that game yet, but I had I got home from Reno last night, turned on the SC Fresno State game immediately, and uh, I was about a quarter in, and I was liking what I was seeing from Daniels. He was a little bit reserved, at, you know, it seemed early on, and I don't know if it's just because he just got that job, you know, game one. All those things kind of go into it, but he was he looked pretty good to me, and then to see him go down, man, I was like, ah, like the – it just is such a bummer. I was happy to see what that could transpire to. Uh, Fresno State secondary, um, like we talked about before, is not bad. Their defense is not bad. They were actually getting some good pressure on their on the uh, from the defensive line side, and so Daniels was playing good. And I was excited to see where that was going. But it sucks to see him go down. I, I had really high hopes for Daniels in that offense with uh, Graham Harrell there. Don't know what the injury is. I haven't checked the news feed today. I had to hang out with my son a little bit today since I completely ignored him yesterday with all the games going on. It did not look good, but he was he did look good when he was in the game. So prayers up to, to JT. I didn't get a chance to watch Ole Miss, but I had asked people on Twitter and I asked people, hey, I haven't been able to see this. What does he look like? And I didn't get good reviews on Matt Corral. I know his final stat line didn't look good. And, and Bo Nix Bo looked like a freshman out there. He looked like a true freshman running around for his life. But guts, man, guts and toughness. And he was able to pull that off and through the game-winning touchdown to uh, uh, Big Seth Williams. So impressed by Bo Nix. I think he's only going to get better and better. And I think in a couple of years, we'll be talking about him as a high Debbie quarterback pick. Now, on to the running backs. These are the positions that everybody seemed like they were talking about all summer. The RBs, Swift, ETN, Taylor, Kylan Hill, Borgie, Dobbins, Chuba, John Taylor. I mean, there was a ton of running backs, but we're focusing on the ones that we're really, really looking forward to for Dynasty. So, Matt, the guys that you got to see, which ones really kind of stood out to you, stock up, stock down, as advertised? What, what, what did you see? Well, so for me, uh, in the offseason, I had Jonathan Taylor jump ETN, and it was actually before even the news broke that he was, you know, afraid to catch or whatever. Um, I just think Jonathan Taylor, 
could be that premier NFL running back that could do all of it. The caveat was, can he get involved in the receiving game and can he catch and can he bring that element to his game? And so that was the big thing, right? Everyone wanted to see that from him. Can he do that? And it's the same thing with ETN. Um, we know what their upsides are, or what their upside is on the ground, but can they do it through the air? And for Jonathan Taylor to come out and have two receptions for almost 50 yards and two touchdowns and look good doing it, it was like a sigh of relief. It was like, like one of those things like, oh my gosh, he can't do it. And combine that with the 16 attempts for a buck 35 and two touchdowns. And just, man, some great vision in the hole, great burst coming out of it. Um, kind of reading those differences and setting it up. And he he could be RB1. And I, I wouldn't fight really anybody trying to say that right now. Um, but that was that was so nice to see. He looks so good. Um, and you know he's going to get the workload all year long. And I, I really like seeing him only get 16 carries. I hope it kind of stays like that all year long. I don't want to see him get 25, 30 carries a game. Uh, I like to see him lessen that load just a little bit. I guess it all depends on game script and how they're playing these games. But uh, man, Jonathan Taylor, he reaffirmed my rankings of him for sure. And um, now he's making it a little bit harder for ETN to jump him there. Uh, but ETN proved his own, you know, he laid out his own story for this week too, for the kickoff this season. Um, but what were your two thoughts on, or what were your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor? I already had him RB2 throughout the summer. He was just somebody, I've, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it. I think he's the best peer running back in this class just as a runner, you know, not overall talent, but just give him the rock. I believe that he's the best runner. His vision on par as advertised. I saw the vision the past two seasons. I really saw that. He looked more elusive and he looked like he had a little more burst to me than he did last season. I don't know if he like slimmed down and packed on the muscle, but he just looked physically. He looked better. And then, of course, in the receiving game, there was a point I, I was I tweeted out it's in the first quarter or, you know, midway through the first. Every time it was third down, they were taking him off the field. And I was like, what the hell? They, they told us all season they wanted all offseason. They were going to get him involved in the passing game, and he's not on the field on third downs. And then I, in that same tweet, I said, but I'm confident that a screen is coming here in the next couple of plays, and he's going to house it. And literally like two minutes after I tweeted it out, screenplay, 36 yards, house call. And I was like, I knew it. I knew he could do it. And then the one that was really impressive is where he was actually running a route, caught the ball, and got in the end zone. So I'm with you. I'm so glad he only had 16 carries. Keep them low. They've got a couple of running backs who look really good. So hopefully they can continue to look good and take some of that work away from Taylor because I do not want him pushing 300 carries this year. Keep them, you know, 250 and below would be ideal. We'll see how that works out. But he looked fantastic. And for those out there who may put him at RB1, which for me, nothing has changed over week one. My RB1 is still DeAndre Swift. But if you said right now that Jonathan Taylor's RB1, I wouldn't knock it. And, you know, speaking of my RB1, DeAndre Swift, he had like the quietest 146 rushing yards on 16 carries that you'll ever see, whether it was because they and and let me everybody out there hear me out. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Georgia has said all offseason, DeAndre Swift is not going to be the workhorse back. They have four talented runners who are all going to get drafted. Um, They're all going to get drafted at some point at whatever round they are going to be. They're all going to get a chance in the NFL. And Georgia historically from outside, I guess the last true workhorse would have been Todd Gurley. 
but they don't they don't just run one running back into the ground. They have no need to do that. They have got a wealth of talent at the position. So those of you who are concerned that, you know, DeAndre Swift, he didn't start the game. For whatever reason, he wasn't in for the very first damn play. And then he was in on the second play. Who cares? He got 16 carries for 147 yards. He showed burst, elusiveness. He could run in between the tackles. Well, he didn't catch a pass. Neither did Chuba Hubbard. And he caught almost 30 last year. It's week one. I'm not concerned about DeAndre Swift. He's still my Debbie RB1. He looked great. Taylor looked great. Um, and, and I, I, I'm just, uh, people just need to, like Aaron Rodgers said, R E L A X relax, please relax. Did, did you get a chance to, uh, to see, uh, Deandre Swift play? I did. And, and before we go too far on that, I want to add, um, Georgia's allure with having these backs, not have to take these full workloads is actually translating into how they're recruiting. And I mean, you know, uh, um, Kendall Milton here in, in Fresno and Clovis area, Part of the reason he wants to go to Georgia is because he knows he's going to have fresh legs and he's not going to get run into the ground going to some other school, getting 300 touches a year. Um, that's part of the recruiting process. But it's smart. You, you're telling me as a high school kid, I can go to Georgia. It means a stud, not just any high school kid, but you can go to Georgia, have limited uh, work freshman year, split duty summer year, split duties junior year, and you're still getting high draft capital going to the NFL and living your dream. All right. Yeah. Works out great for everybody. So I, like you, I'm 100% not worried about workload. He was electric two years ago. He was electric last year. He's electric this year. And I don't care if he gets 10 touches a game there. Show me somebody in the league or in the, in the league, in the, in the college football landscape, that's got a better, just dead leg, stiff juke, like not even a juke. He just changes direction so quick and easy. So effortlessly. And I love DeAndre Swift. I, what I'm trying to do is not allow my love for him to overlook where I rank him and not, you know, not give Jonathan Taylor or ETN a chance to take that spot. Um, and that's my own bias that I know that I have, but I can't, I can't see anybody taking that spot from him, but I'm trying to be realistic in that to know, like he, he you know, he does have the option or the opportunity to not be the top back in his class. Um, but I'm trying to, uh, to look at that with unbiased eyes every week. Yeah, that's fair. And that's a good point. And and you're right, because Jonathan Taylor could um, overtake him for RB1. But here's the reality of the situation is for me, these top three guys and maybe four or five, they're all so individually talented that I believe that the the X factor when it's all said and done is going to be landing spot. Where do these guys end up if Let's just say DeAndre Swift ends up with the Miami Dolphins, which I don't think they would take a running back that high at one. Or uh, let's say Chuba Hubbard declares and he lands in Tampa Bay. I'm not just going to automatically select DeAndre Swift because he was the first player taken, opposed to situation is going to situation with decent draft capital is going to weigh a lot in what we do for dynasty purposes. So, you're, you're absolutely right. And you touched on Travis Etienne. For me, I'll just say real quick, because I know you want to you want to hit on him as well. For for Etienne, he was exactly what I thought he was. There's no first of all, just. 12 carries for 205 yards is that's just ridiculous, first of all, and I know half of it came on one run with that 90 yard touchdown run, but he's fast. I mean, Travis Etienne is who I thought he was. He's a fast player, and he didn't do anything uh, in that game versus Georgia Tech to make me to open my eyes 
to make me think anything that I hadn't thought before. He was fast. Uh, I, there's nothing else to say. He was a fast player. He's a top Debbie running back, and he looked good. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And it, God, even if you take that 90-yard run out, he still averaged like, what, 12, 13 yards a carry, something like that, if, if my, if my uh, rough math is right. He, I don't know. All year long, I feel like it's going to be this deal where he's going to be putting up not 205 yards every week, but it's just going to be silly numbers. Um, ACC, you know, is is all right. There's some there's some less than a stellar competition in some of those teams. But golly, man, I don't know. It's just so if you have a top 2020 draft pick next year, you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? You're going to feel okay. Like, oh man, I got the 104. So what? Like, you're you're going to be like, man, I got the 104. And uh, people are going to come try to sell or, or, you know, offer you everything and anything to get that spot. But I'm not mad at it. Etienne, look, he looked good. He is so fast. He it, he does look a little stiff. I mean, not stiff. He's not as fluid as you'd think he'd be for as fast and as well as he runs. He just doesn't look as fluid as some of these other guys like, the you know, Chuba or or some of these other cats who just look so fluid doing it. But, you know, that's just my own little quirk, I guess, when I'm watching them run. And it's not that big of a deal to me. The one who I, you know, the one I like, though, is uh, a Kylan Hill. And I liked him because we've talked about this before. I like guys that you can get later on that could potentially be big name guys for your team at some point in time. And Kylan last year really intrigued me because he, he runs so hard. He actually reminded me of John Kelly. And as much as I hate comps, I feel like I'm getting more and more into comps. But he ran like John Kelly, where John Kelly ran hard and aggressive and angry. And that was his best attribute. But it translated like you can you can carry that on in the college game. And I was afraid last year that that was Kylan's kind of niche. He just running hard. Um, and then watching him again this weekend, he he's he's moved forward. He has taken some steps forward. He has he does look better. Last year was a sophomore. Um, he looked better. He looked not, like not just an angry runner. But he still has that angry runner in him. And he th- I mean, he had some great, a, a great stat line, 27 for 197 and a touchdown. And the kid behind him, too, and I forget his name now. I think his last name is Wilson. He runs really hard and good. And, um, you know, that kind of, well, those two plus the quarterback, they're going to run a lot. But I will definitely be watching Kylan Hill with a close eye this year. I think he has an opportunity to, uh, he's not getting into that top category by any stretch, but he's going to be somebody who, just like, you know, John Kelly, even though I got cut the other day, I was ecstatic at one point in time to get John Kelly in the second round of dynasty uh, rookie drafts before he landed in L.A. But I think Kylan Hill could be one of those guys where you could target late second, early third in your in your rookie drafts next year and be really, really happy with that at the end of the day. So I'm definitely going to keep him on my watch list this year and see if he can continue to progress forward in this run game. I did not get to watch any of the uh, Mississippi State games, so I'm glad that you mentioned him because I admittedly hadn't really – I'm not going to say I was high or low on Kylan Hill. I, I've seen um, trusted Debbie analysts and scouts rank him, you know, inside the top 10, and I have not done, you know, a really good job of scouting him up to this point. But anybody who drops a buck 97 in week one, they, they've got my attention. So he's somebody that I want to go back – and, uh, and and just check out his game and see what I see on film. When you were talking about ETN and his fluidity, I completely agree. And I've said it uh, numerous times. He just, I'm not saying he's not agile. He just looks not robotic, but it's just like, it, it doesn't look fluid. And it's it's not, a, it, clearly it works because he's able to drop 205 on 12, but it doesn't look as fluid as, Uh, The nation's leading rusher up until this point now, the runners from Oklahoma haven't played and De'Ara King hadn't played the night. 
but the leading rusher in college football. As Matt was talking about Kylan Hill, I was stretching my hamstrings because I'm about to take a lap. I'm taking a victory lap right now on my guy, Chuba Hubbard. I told you, I told you, I freaking told everybody out there to go get this kid. When I was participating in uh, the, the mock drafts by Debbie Warehouse, I was taking Chuba Hubbard in the second round. And I, I remember people saying, oh, there goes Chuba Hubbard. His, his, the inflation has started. I, I, it was clear as day last season. Justice Hill, over 1,400 yards the year before Chuba Hubbard actually started getting work. And when Chuba Hubbard was in the game, Justice Hill's production dipped because, not just because of some injuries that he dealt with, it was because of that redshirt freshman speedster Chuba freaking Hubbard, six foot one, 210 pounds, 26 carries for 221 yards, three touchdowns, averaged almost nine yards a carry. I mean, showed that speed, showed that fluidity, running in between the tackles outside. He didn't even catch a ball, which I think his receiving production may take a dip this year because running quarterbacks, they tend not to lean on the running backs out of the backfield. But I really, really, really believe that Chuba Hubbard, when it's all said and done, he's in my top five of Debbie running backs right now. He's fifth. I think he's got a chance to 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 be that for more people than me. I just what he does very, very well is he's a physical runner and he can not just get to the edge. It's not like he's just running a toss sweep. That kid is explosive, man. You saw it when he hit the open field, even on the sideline run where he was like tackled and flipped upside down. As soon as he got to the edge, it was like lights out. You know, you have to take proper angles. And that's what I'm looking for. I want to see elite traits. And for me, he's right there. As fast as ETN looked when he got in the open field, I think Hubbard looked even faster than ETN did. And Hubbard can catch the ball. Now, granted, Oregon State's defense was parted like the part of the Red Sea like Moses. But I, I really believe that Chuba Hubbard, the ascension, and the Truba train is left the station. If you want to get on board, you can jump aboard this train. It's moving. I'm the conductor, but he is going to show up and show out this year. Um, real quick before we move on, and, and you can touch on uh, Chuba as well, Matt. We had Zach Moss. He looked really good. You know, he was what I thought he was, a grinder. He grinded that game out versus BYU. He looked good. Um, my guy Max Borgie out in Washington State. Looked really good. I think he had 128 rushing yards. Um, he is not just some uh, satellite white running back that can only catch passes. He is a, a, a TDT, a three-down threat. I like Max Borgie. Uh, Eno Benjamin looked all right. J.K. Dobbins, for me, stock down. He just didn't look good. I wasn't high on J.K. Dobbins coming in. A lot of people just assume Ohio State, Ezekiel Elliott. He just he looks okay. He looks like just a guy to me, and I'm not I'm not crucifying him off of one game, but 21 carries for 91 yards. He just did not look good to me or is Ohio State's offensive line that bad. So any of these other guys you want to touch on real quick before we move on to the wide receivers? No, you hit the the nail on the head. The the one thing was Dobbins and Cam Akers have been kind of lumped in the same category for some time now, I guess, in most circles. And I'm with you. Dobbins, a little bit of a, a, you know, stock down and Acres a little bit of stock up, even though that team is going to struggle all year long. And I'm, it's unfortunate and I feel bad for him. 
but it's also one of those things like it looks like an opportunity maybe to score him later <laughs> in, in drafts is all it's going to turn into but the talent is there for sure i loved uh, that borgie had all of his production on the ground um you know he is labeled as that you know satellite back getting balls out of the backfield woodhead style or whatever you want to call him but it was all on the ground and he looked good doing it. And Moss, I, see, he's another one. I'm trying to figure out if I'm too low on him or not because early in the game, he didn't look good. There, he, he went soft stepping into some one third and one uh, yard play that I was watching. He could have hit that whole hard. He's a big dude and he didn't do it. And I was like, man, that's the guy who I thought it was. And then all of a sudden he busting off these bigger runs and then started to dominate and was breaking tackles. And I'm like, wait a minute, who is this guy? So he's kind of two different tails for me right now. And I'm, not sure if I'm too low on him or not, um, but I haven't been a big fan of date. You know who Moss reminded me of, and it was the same sort of analysis that this prospect was having last year. It's Devin Singletary. Remember at Florida Atlantic, he was he led that he was breaking all these tackles and led the nation and break, broken tackles, but then he went to the combine, didn't test well, fell in the draft, fell in rookie drafts. Now he landed in a situation where he's got an opportunity. But the play for me that stood out with Zach Moss, everyone, oh, look at that broken tackle. He he ran up the middle and he was untouched for 20 yards. It was the one where he, um, I don't know if he tried to reverse field or it was a zone read stretch play and he tried to hit the edge and he had no shot. I mean, the defense, I mean, just right then and there, I was like, he's, he's a north and south runner. You don't want him running laterally. Going east and west is not what Zach Moss is. So if he can't hit the edge, if he's not really involved in the receiving game, if he tests as a sub-athlete, what is there a place for him in the NFL? I'm not, I'm not saying there's not a place for him at the next level. I'm talking about first round, second round, third round, rookie draft capital. No thank you. And he's got plenty of time to prove me wrong. But throwing people off like that, it's not happening at the next level. You're not just running through people at the next level. So why it looks cool now that he's big facing uh, defensive backs and throwing down corners, uh, it's not happening at the next level. And I agree with you, Cam Akers. I I said on Twitter that I'm paying more attention to the people that I was down on going into the season than the people that I was high on. Cam Akers, I was down on him, not because of the talent, but because I really felt like Florida State probably just broke the kid. They, they, you know, the offensive line stunk, the offensive coordinator situation stunk. So you just keep putting somebody in bad situations to get blasted before he even gets a chance to get past the line of scrimmage. I was just concerned, but man, he, as far as running back talent, there's no way he's not a top five talent at running back. So I'm really excited about Cam Akers. And I saw a stat and I can't remember it verbatim, but it was like he had more yards uh, prior to the line of, prior to contact in one game than he had all of last season, which was just blew my mind that in one game where, you know, he didn't even just go off, you know, but in one game he had more yards before contact in that first game than he had all of 2018 combined. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. But um, got to move on to these wide receivers we're running, we're running long. Um, so Debbie wide receiver studs duds as advertised Matt give us some of the guys who really kind of uh, either stood out that didn't stand out or or kind of you know stock up stock down or kind of stayed the same yeah and we'll, and we'll go back to Clemson one of the best teams in the country you know I like Justin Ross as much as anybody but T Higgins is definitely making a case for himself to not be that far behind him 
And once again, that kind of value and, and return, if I can get Higgins maybe a round later than where you're getting Justin Ross, I'll be completely okay with that. Especially with, you know, I like to target running backs in the first round anyways, just because of the the value that you can bring there. But give me Chuba. I'll, re- I'll reach on Chuba at this point. Take T. Higgins in the second round if I'm in a rookie draft and be a completely okay with that. Higgins looks good. He's more of a linky. He's not a, a, as strong as uh, Ross is at the point of uh, or, or with contact and getting footballs. But he's more than capable. He looked really good to me. Obviously, there was not a whole lot to go around there. I think the after uh, Justin Ross had three receptions, after that, like everyone on the team had one reception. It was something silly. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of action um, after the first half of that game. But Higgins looks nice, man. And uh, he's got good hands and he's pretty good with his body control and everything else. So I like what I see there. Yeah, he looked good. T. Higgins looked really good. You know, he's not a, a, a great separator, but... Neither was Nikhil Harry, and I think T. Higgins may be a little more athletic than than Harry is, so I'm not concerned with Higgins. He looked really good. Uh, for me, I'm going to touch on some, I'm not going to say stock down, but some people that I've been really kind of either high on or they've been polarizing prospects that I didn't, I didn't walk away feeling really, really good. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. It looked to me that it was clear that Rashad Bateman is the most explosive wide receiver on that Minnesota team. I know everyone just focuses on that crazy, insane catch that he had on the sidelines, but he just looked more explosive than Tyler Johnson. And I've got a guy, uh, Kane Fossil, who is really like in tune with Minnesota football, said that uh, South Dakota State was putting a bracket coverage on Tyler Johnson, which kind of negated him. But even when he got the ball, he just did not look as explosive. And Tyler Johnson is not a burner. He's not going to run very fast. That was one of my knocks on him. Uh, Just a little concerned. He didn't really do much. Jalen Rager had a beautiful 37-yard touchdown yesterday. He also fumbled the ball three times. He dropped the pass. And he's somebody that I've been sky high on. Um, So it wasn't just, I think he went five for 71 and one. But again, three fumbles, lost one of them. I don't know what was going on with him yesterday, but um, I'm not going to say stock down, but definitely not stock up. I need to see uh, Rager get back on track. And uh, he's got a date with uh, Purdue here coming up very, very soon. So I'm excited to see him versus Rondell Moore. And then LaVisca Chenault, um, Colorado, man, Steven Montez, Mel Tucker at offense. And I talked to uh, one of the guys who uh, at Debbie watched, Lawrence Chaney, who's you know, really in tune with everything West Coast. He was saying that they've been saying it all year, that all summer that Colorado was going to focus on the run game. And he said, you know, he, he had people and he was saying to people that you need to be cautious of viscous production this year. He was getting open, drew a couple of pass interference calls, but I mean, I think he only had like 40 something receiving yards as well. He did have that touchdown where he had to extend almost full body to get it. But I'm glad I was good. Glad to see him on the field. He looked explosive. I'm not players like Rager and Chenault. Their talent is just so high that even when they have a down game, I'm not really concerned about them. But it was sort of a letdown, especially seeing as Visca, when he played Colorado State last year, he dropped like 220 on them in that opening game. So to see him kind of, you know, not put up those numbers and that offense be as inept as it was, was just a little disappointing. But uh, did you get a chance to see uh, Jerry Judy play? I did get some of that, man. And he's just he's filthy. But real fast on LaVisca, I'm just happy that he's healthy right now. And I'll take a little bit um, of a lesser stat line game from him to know that he's healthy. He was still involved in the run game. He had three carries for like 30 something yards. which is good to see. 
and he looked good. That touchdown he had, extending up over the pylon, it just he, he's a good receiver. He's a good he's a good football player, and I would take a like I said, I would take a season with less production than he had last season as long as he stays healthy through this year because I think people will still recognize the talent that he is and will still get the capital that. He should des- he should deserve at the next level. Yeah, but Judy, you know, watching Tua and Judy is a thing of beauty. And how about that rhyming game right there too? I was, somebody told me the other day, and I didn't even think about this, but Tua and Judy might be the first combination of quarterback receiver from the same team to be drafted as the number one quarterback and number one receiver in the NFL draft. And I was thinking about that, and then they said, and then next year it may be. Lawrence and Ross can do the same thing, double it up. I'm like, man, that's kind of crazy to, you know, what a time we live in. But Judy, man, I love Jerry Judy. I want, I want the number one and 102, 101 and 102 picks in every draft that I'm in because I want Judy and DeAndre Swift on all my football teams. He's just a stud. I love what I see there. I like you. I like rugs. I like Waddle. I like everything they do. But when, when Judy stands out the way he does and among the, uh, among the talent that he's with, the crowd that he's with, and he could just step up and do what he does. Sign me up, man. That dude is real. He's good. And and I have to make this disclaimer again. Judy is my Debbie wide receiver one. Jerry Judy is wide receiver one. All I've said uh, throughout this entire offseason is the people behind him have sort of climbed and inched their way a little bit closer to Jerry Judy. And from what I saw after week one, Jerry Judy's still number one. I mean, Rager disappointed in my eyes. Um, LaVisca Chenault, even though he disappointed, he looked real good to me. If anything, I've got a little bit of a stock up on LaVisca Chenault. Like he looked really, really good. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, he plays tonight. So I expect a big, big things out of CeeDee Lamb. Um, is that with their Tyler Johnson to me took a step down. There's no way, no way I'd even, you know, consider him in the same breath. So right now there's only one other player that I think could even push Judy for, uh, Debbie wide receiver one, and that is Ron Dale Moore. And I did get to watch that game on my computer. I made sure that I had that stupid network just so I can watch him. I had to pay for it. But uh, 11 receptions for, I think he had 124 yards and one. He just, every time he gets the ball, he's just so freaking fast and so good and so strong. Um, it was really a pleasure and joy just watching Ron Dale Moore play. And I really... I, I want to watch him, not to scout him, not to kind of compare him to anybody else, but I just like watching him play. He's that fun. So um, if if anybody can have a stock up out of this group, I'd say Visca, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, stock ups for me, stock down. And T. Higgins, stock up as well. Jerry Judy, stock is already so high. Uh, stock down. I would say uh, uh, Tyler Johnson, definitely stock down for, for me. Uh, my man, Jalen Rager, I, again, he wasn't he he just got a hold on to the damn ball. I don't know why he was fumbling. So he he's just kinda I want to see him improve next week. But there were a lot of good wide receiver performances. But for Debbie Dynasty, I think uh we touched on um for the most part. Is there anybody else that you could think of, Matt, that I'm leaving out that really deserves? What about the did you want uh the Terry kid from Florida State? He looked pretty fluid, big, big long lanky guy. He looked pretty good. Uh anybody else that you think uh needs to be touched on? 
Oh, we mentioned him earlier, but I'd say Tyler Wallace stock up. I continue to, he needs to be pushed up a little bit more. And he's still like right on the outskirts of like, or on the skirts of that eight to 12 range. And, but I've seen him as low as 15 to 20 in people's in wide receiver ranking. So I think he's easily deserving of a top 10 slot and uh, that will continue to grow. It's Oklahoma State too. You know, he's going to throw up some silly amount of numbers this year and be very much considered for Belenikoff and everything else that comes with that. So he's the other one that deserves that. Agreed. Should not have left Tyler Wallace out. Definitely stock up for Tyler Wallace. So tonight, Sunday night matchup. When you're listening to this on Monday, they will have already played. But from Oklahoma, CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Hurts, all those running backs, the young wide receivers. Houston's got De'Aaron King. It's going to be a really, really fun matchup. I'm glad they've got the slate on Sunday night. Um, So for Debbie Dynasty purposes, there'll be some good action in there, we hope. Grant Calcaterra, my man at tight end, can't can't go up, can't go episode without saying the name Calcaterra. And then Monday, Notre Dame versus Louisville. I I'm not particularly interested in much in that one. I, and quite honestly, I'll have the game on, but I, if I miss it, I really won't care. Ian Book, uh, Chase Claypool. Um, there's a Jafar Jefferson, the running back. So for those of you in deeper Debbie leagues, there's some people out there to pay attention to. But Matt. Uh, just tell everybody where they can find you at, what you have going on. Talk about your podcast, why they need to listen, why people should follow you on Twitter. I will say, though, a deeper, deeper guy in that Notre Dame uh, Louisville game, Des Fitzpatrick is somebody who was really good two years ago, held off uh, last year, but showing some really showed some really good capabilities of being a good receiver. So I kind of I, I have high hopes for him. He's a guy that I like. Um, but yeah, you guys can find me, Commissioner McGriff, on Twitter. Uh, always uh, cruising around doing all that good stuff on there, doing Debbie rankings for Debbie happy hour, uh, doing some articles on there as well. Constantly staying on the Debbie rankings. Like, like we talked about, I, I want to check myself too on some of these, make sure I'm not being too biased on anybody. Also there's guys that I, I have highlighted that I know, like I need to evaluate this guy more because I'm not, maybe I'm not as high as I should be. Maybe I'm too low, maybe whatever else, but I like to kind of keep myself in check with that. But, and obviously over there at the uh, Debbie happy hour podcast with Dwight Peebles and Ray Garvin, Having a ton of fun doing that, man. And, and we're going to have fun all year long doing that. You know, make sure you're subscribing to this one, to ours, getting all this Debbie content. And we're trying to mix it up, make sure we're not doing the same stuff over and over. You know, we, we talk about it and I could admit to it. We're not watching every single college game. We're not watching every single NFL game, but we're not going back and looking at box scores. We're not going back and looking at stat lines and saying, oh, my God, you need to have this guy because he put up whatever. It doesn't really work like that. We are going to dig in deeper. And when we give opinions, they're going to be because we actually have opinions on it, not because someone else told us. But uh, man, make sure you tune in. We're going to try and give you, uh, you know, the expedited version of a lot of the stuff that's going on. If you don't have time to catch up on everything, but if you have questions on anything, if you want to hit me up on anything at Commissioner Griff on Twitter and uh, be glad to interact with you guys. Matt, appreciate you. Thanks for jumping on the DDP, man. We appreciate uh, everything that you do, your insight. Your engagement in the community, it's been a pleasure, boss. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Ray, man. I've been looking forward to this. Like I said, man, we've been we've been talking for a long time, so I, I feel honored to be on your podcast today and, and to be a guest on your show. So thanks so much for having me, man. 